the past. He used to be a newspaper. The Bob Podcast. Not outclassed. Ones on mass. Get it on my leader right up to the end of the game. The Bob Podcast. Hello and welcome to the Buff Podcast. My name's Mark Isles and I'm the chief football writer of the Bolton News. This is your one-stop shop for all things Bolton Wanderers and... What's up? Henry can't be with us this week. He's gone to a luxurious desert island location and can't be contacted. So I'm stuck talking about the Wigan match all on my own. Sod that. Well, folks, it appears that scheduling issues um, have scuppered us this week, really. And I'm, But I'm not going to leave you hanging, OK? We're not one of those podcasts that's just going to do a best-of episode and expect you to swallow it Um, right instead I'm giving everyone a listen to the latest episode of Stop Press Bolton Wanderers in the 1990s Uh, normally it's just subscribers this week I'm going to open it up I'm going to let everybody listen to it and uh, this episode we're diving into a time machine traveling all the way back to the last game of the 1992-93 season when John McGinley cemented his legend from the penalty spot uh, I'm joined by Wanderers superfans Paul Holiday. you remember him, and uh, John Hartley, author as well. Uh, I promise you, it's a whole lot more entertaining than talking about that game on Saturday. Uh, but also, I mean, I don't want to leave you shortchanged, so I'll record a top five things that I took from the Wigan game. So email me at thebuffmail at gmail.com if you've got any observations of your own, anything else you want to bring up on the podcast once Henry flies back in uh, from his mysterious business abroad. So here is a countdown of five things from the Wigan game, and then let's never speak of it again. Number one. Aaron Morley and Josh Sheehan in midfield didn't work. Uh, neither player had a great game, did they? Uh, Morley got hooked off at half-time, and against a team like Wigan, you've got to be able to handle the physicality and get yourself around the pitch. I don't think Morley did that, uh, to be honest, but it was a bad day at the office. He's a better player than that. Same with Josh Sheehan, just didn't happen for either of them. Are they too similar to play together? Potentially. A Bolton missing somebody who really can put their foot in and break up play? Yes, I do think they are. Uh, Ian Everett's got his own theories, of course. He's, he, he believes that there are not too many players who can do the technical side as well as the physical side that are within Bolton's budget. And, well, you know, that's bound to elicit some sort of opinion among the fans, particularly as Wigan had a, a few on show at the weekend. Uh, but does it give him some food for thought? Of course, you've got um, Carlos Mendes Gomez, Paris Magoma, both took hold of the game much, much better in that second half. I think it does. Number two, is this team lacking leadership? Uh, now, this is a, a bit of a bugbear of mine because I've, I've been off on leave this week and I've seen a lot of comments around social media and some from other podcasts as well questioning whether Santos should be captain um, or whether Ian Everett needs to bring in somebody who shouts and snarls and waves his hands in the air. I mean, that is just nonsense, by the way. Absolute nonsense. See, he had a poor game. Wasn't alone in that. Definitely had a poor game. But take it from me. He commands respect from people all around him. All around him. Entirely in the dressing room. Does he jump up and down? Does he throw tantrums? No. Um, I mean, did he hammer the post after Fleetwood scored the other night? Yes, he did. So that was a tantrum. But he's not one of those outwardly kind of combative types that, uh, you know, the people old-fashioned 
kind of style captain. Of course he isn't. He's a totally different night. Leads by example. Um, but frankly, I think some of the comments are embarrassing um, and out of touch, I would say. Number three, Kryptonite. Yeah, I mean, we stopped talking about it. Bolton against physical teams. Bolton against direct teams. Bolton against teams who, you know, interrupt their flow, interrupt their rhythm. Um, but has anyone noticed that Dino Mamria, the Burton boss, looks a little bit like Lex Luthor? That's all I'm saying. Uh, Burton got to be licking the lips after watching that slow start that the, the Bolton made uh, the other day. They were lethargic looked like the heart wasn't in it they were not up up for a derby in any way shape or form and that is for the first 15 minutes of that sort of game exactly what you've got to do it will be no different on Saturday Burton we know what we're going to get from them anyway um, they could get whitewashed we've seen it before if anybody was there um, a couple of seasons ago when they went 3-0 down after about 20 minutes that's exactly what Burton will try and do again it certainly would be if, if I were in charge of Burton um, and, and if Bolton don't learn quickly, every single team in League One is going to be going for them in exactly the same way. So come on, boys, wake up, please. Number four, Daddy's back. And, I mean, if we take absolutely nothing away from the Wigan game at all, aside from a, a massive suitcase of shame, then let it be that Jan Dalibar-Varsen is back involved again, which is brilliant to see. It's his first game since January. And when you want to mix up that approach up front, then I think he's probably the man to do it. He gives Ian Everett something different, a little bit more of a target man, a little bit more intelligence. And uh, I think him being back will be a big thing. Owen Toll, obviously, to come uh, soon as well. Maybe room for him um, after after Saturday uh, to be able to, to claim a place in that back three. All in all, take a breath. Bolton a second in the league. It isn't that bad. And finally, number five, Dion returns. Charles is back for Burton and, you know, there's been loads of theories about the red card against Fleetwood. But if there's one thing we know about Dion, it's that he'll be back to prove a point, no matter what happens. There's been loads written about him, loads of headlines, apparently loads of interest. The transfer deadline is upon us next Friday. Um, but Wanderers missed him big time on Saturday, so I expect him to go and raise hell. And there we have it. So before I look into my Men in Black memory wiper and forget that Saturday ever, ever happened, please allow me to introduce you to a new podcast which has been available to subscribers of the Bolton News for a few weeks now and a couple of older episodes. This is our third episode, in fact, um, of Stop Press Bolton Wanderers in the 90s. We have plenty more to come, uh, but you will need to be a subscriber. And at the moment, you can get three months of subscription for just three quid or you can save even more money by buying a whole year's worth of unlimited content for 31 pounds every episode on this podcast we uh, go back we discuss what was happening at the time what it was like to follow wanderers what events shaped the club that we see today it's been really really interesting we've had some great guests on the show we've got plenty more lining up as well um Every month or so, we're looking to release a new episode, maybe slightly less if we can get the recording uh, time down, but, you know, I'm working on that. Um, but we've got loads and loads coming up, especially with Transfer Deadline Day next week. There's going to be lots of subscription-only stuff, so don't miss out. Give yourself a chance. Sign up and test it out. Um, but enjoy the podcast, and uh, we'll be back with a proper buff next week, I promise. Welcome to Stop Press, a 
podcast for bold new subscribers all about wanderers in the 1990s. My name's Mark Isles, and with the help of some special guests, I'll be transporting you back to a decade that saw great change in the town's football club. Playoff heartbreak, promotion success, FA Cup giant killings, a stadium move, and legends made both on the pitch and in the dugout. We'll be looking back with some hindsight and some key moments of a decade where the game's image was transformed nationally and Bolt Wanderers became something else entirely. From the headquarters of ITN, News at 10 with Trevor McDonald. Clinton talks tough, Serbs offer a concession tonight. Azil Nadir, safe at home, talks of returning for trial. See you in court, Virgin ends talks with British Airways. And how this computed disc can bring pornography into your home. Tonight's soccer news, the FA Cup finalist Sheffield Wednesday and Arsenal had another practice tonight in the FA Premier League. This time it was Sheffield who ended up winners by one goal to nil. And the party continues at St James's Park. First Division champions Newcastle beat Oxford by two goals to nil. The date was May the 8th, 1993. The CD was out selling cassette tapes for the first time. Kids were going mad for little picture discs called Pogs. And the BBC had just called a halt to Saturday morning show Going Live. Away from football, Lennox Lewis had beaten Tony Tucker for the WBC heavyweight boxing title. And if you were heading to the cinema, you might have had a strange feeling that you'd seen the film before. I'm sorry, what was that again? I'm a god. You're a god. I'm a god. I'm not the god. I don't think. Because you survived a car wreck? You folks ready to order? I didn't just survive a wreck. I wasn't just blown up yesterday. I have been stabbed, shot, poisoned, frozen, hung, electrocuted, and burned. Oh, really? And every morning I wake up without a scratch on me, not a dent in the fender, I am an immortal. Special today is blueberry waffles. In the music charts, George Michael, Queen, and Lisa Stansfield were number one with the Five Live EP. R.E.M.'s Automatic for the People was the UK's biggest selling album. Everybody cries. Everybody hurts. Sometimes. The rapper Snow came up with a bunch of lyrics that, well, none of us could decipher. Not quite. Thankfully, things were more straightforward for Wanderers as they went into the final game of the second division season. A win would see Bruce Rioxide return to the second tier for the first time in 10 years, and they were flying high. 
it had been one defeat in 18, and just a few days earlier they'd beaten champion Stoke City. Lowly Preston North End were all that stood in their way. But as fans will know, nothing's ever easy at Bolton Wanderers. Burnham Park was buzzing with expectation, but in the end it fell to one man from 12 yards, 16 minutes from time. Potentially the most famous penalty in the Whites' history. Stop press. It's White, it's hot, it's Wanderers in the 90s, it's League, it's Cup, it's Wanderers in the 90s, it's Bray, it's Off, it's Wanderers in the 90s, it's Brendan, it's Reebok, it's Wanderers in the 90s. of the podcast joining me again two gentlemen and scholars of Bolton Wanderers I'm going to Paul I'm going to give you I'm going to give you top billing Paul Paul Holiday when if you don't know Paul Holiday and you follow Bolton Wanderers you need your head testing anyway uh, of course <laughs> former media guru at the club a uh, lifelong fan um, you've held several positions at that club and which we'll get on to uh, to later Paul pleasure to have you thank you Mark thanks for the introduction yeah looking forward to this going down memory lane Absolutely. And joining us on said memory lane is uh, author of a fine book of the Burnham days, uh, A View from Orlando Bridge. It's John Hartley. John, pleasure to have you. Hi, Mark. Hi, Paul. Um, thanks for having me. It's, it's a pleasure to be on. And um, yeah, troll, troll those, um, those steps down memory lane, as you say. <laughs> uh, it's a well-trodden, that's, that's all we've got really, memory lane, when you get to a certain age. But <laughs> um, today, this podcast is revolving around uh, a really big day in uh, Burnden uh, memories, and, and that was May the 8th, 1993. Uh, a tense game, a tense day, Preston North End in town, Bolton Wanderers had to win to go up, and it all, of course, boiled down to one penalty and one man. Um, we will start with you, Paul. In uh, in May 1993, what did... What did uh, Bolton Wanderers look like to you? Were you still working there? Well, yeah, I was 16 at the time. So, um, yeah, I was at sixth form. Um, my dad worked in the ticket office, ticket office manager. So on match days, um, particularly the weekend games, I used to work in the ticket office on a match day with my brother Andy, twin brother Andy. And so, yeah, so my um, long affiliation kind of started there. Um, obviously, a fan. Since I can remember, some of my earliest memories are at Burnley Park, my Shangri-La, I thought of the better word. And um, yeah, so um, May the 8th, I would have been, yeah, just really mad for it to coin a phrase as a Bolton fan. Um, you know, and yeah, what a tense game it was set to be. Absolutely. It's... Uh... I, I get the feeling, John, although I should actually explain, we, this is an audio podcast, but we are recording this as a video, and, and John's John's screen is mysteriously dark, so we'll just have to take it, uh, <laughs> take it, take it, you've got both of for starters, but um, we can't tell your age, John, but where, where were you in your, your Wanderer's journey in 1993? Well, 
I reckon I might have met Paul that day, unsuspectingly. I was 21 and um, I'd I was studying at Newcastle and I'd come down on the day to get tickets, having spent all week ringing up the club to be told, no, it's not all ticket, it's not all ticket, and getting my mum to ring up the club and saying, it's not all ticket, it's not all ticket, it's pay on the day. So I came down on the day and it was sold out. <laughs> and I went into that ticket office. So I might well have seen Paul and his brother and his dad there. But I wasn't there, please. It's all Paul's oh, yeah. fault. It always, always yeah. was and always will be. Sorry four, to hear that, John. <laughs> yeah, four long hours on that train. Yeah, if I remember rightly, I think it was um, 21,000 crowd, wasn't it? So it was the, the biggest crowd of the season, certainly at Burning Park. And it had followed on for the Stoke game. I think it was probably about 17,000, 18,000 for that one as well. So, yeah, a couple of big, big attendances. And obviously the demand would have um, shot through the roof as we got close to the game. So, um, yeah, sorry to hear that you didn't get a ticket. Ah, there's a twist to the tale. Oh, is there a twist? Oh, we've got a twist. Go on. So we went, I went, it it must have been about 10 o'clock because I'd I'd got up at the crack of dawn. Well, maybe about 11, if it was four hours on the train. Went to the ticket office. No, sold out. So, sort of looking around and and there was was quite a few of us there that were in the same position. And I started chatting to this bloke in the car park and he said, if it's not all ticket, that means we can pay up Preston End. So we went into the club, into the ticket office and said, is the Preston End all ticket? No, no, it's not. No, it's just pay on the door. So guess where we went? Oh dear. So, so we went in the, <laughs> in the Preston End. And um, it's funny, I, I was reading back um, a couple of weeks ago, Lancashire Online was talking about that day as the, the flat cap day. Because um, Preston were going to get oh, relegated. They needed to win to stay up. And all their fans were there in big foam flat caps. And it, it said in the in the Lancashire Online um, page that there were 3,000 Preston fans and the end was sold out and many more got locked out of the Preston end. But I can tell you there weren't 3,000 Preston fans in that end because all the way through the first half, me and the, the, the bloke that I'd met in the car park were just watching these people, eyes shifting from side to side, looking a bit nervous. And then every now and again, somebody would go down to the front to the steward and he'd open the gate and they'd go around into and be let into the burned up paddock. So at half time, we chanced it, did that. And about 30 others did that. So there's a, there weren't 3,000 in that Preston end. <laughs> well, not Preston fans anyway. <laughs> cheeky buggers, cheeky buggers. I've just had a look at that uh, article online. You're right, actually. I wonder if that's any any. I mean, I, I know they do the Gentry Day, don't they, Preston? So uh, maybe it was the the origins of that, or was it a nod to John Rudge? Maybe I think it was supposed to be a, a, a nod to John Rudge, um, right. and 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 just as a, a way of celebrating the fact that they were going down. <laughs> <laughs> Fair enough. Fair enough. Well, I mean, obviously, it was a it was a big day for Bolton. Obviously, the the weekend before they'd beaten uh, Stoke, Julian Derby had grabbed that really important goal, um, and there was nearly twenty thousand fans there. Paulie, well remembered. Um, it it had all kind of the, the pressure was on them to, to to a massive degree because they'd been playing catch up quite a bit 
for most of the season. They, they never really led from the front. That was very much Stoke City's uh, bag and, and Port Vale were up there. West Brom were up there pretty much all season. Bolton had, had finished the season extremely strongly. Um, as a supporter, Paul, were you confident of getting there? Or, or I mean, it was either that or the playoffs, wasn't it? Yeah, I mean, I think it was um, around about February, wasn't it, when we went on, when we commenced that run? And yeah. I, I think, I think from February to the end of the season, we only lost three games, if or three or four games, and we won yeah. quite a lot of them. We didn't draw many either. So I think you know that, that old classic momentum in football. I just felt, you know, uh, you know, you're going into games thinking we're going to win, and I think we beat was it Chester City five nil. Mm. Um, I vaguely remember that, and I'm thinking, yeah, we can win. But if you look at the ta- looked at the table, it was always close, wasn't it? You know, us in Port Vale and, and West Brom, like you say, they were like, mm. you know, it was like a, in a horse race. You know, like each one taking the lead and the other coming from behind. And yeah, it was, um, yeah, it was just just crazy. And um, but yeah, I think you know the only promotion I remember consciously you know because obviously in the 70s when I was a youngster I, I didn't really kind of obviously pay that much attention but it was getting promoted from the old fourth division so this would have been my the next best promotion you know get to the second tier which was well, phenomenal really at the time mm. and um, and yeah it was just um, like, like when you mentioned the Stoke game the Julian Derby that famous celebration that he did where he just flung himself and kind of like bounced off his belly on the floor that <laughs> stuff like that just lives in but yeah it was um, yeah it was I think I think beating Stoke well Hull as well Hull away who could forget that you know going having Stubbsy sent off and then going 1-0 down and then coming back to win I think from that moment on I just thought it's happening it's happening <laughs> Johnny, it was a, it was a, it was a dark time. I mean, this is as long as Bolton Wanderers have not been in the top two divisions. Yeah. So getting back there was obviously a, a, a massive thing. But uh, we've always, we always say about the the Rioch era being kind of the start of modern day Bolton. The, you know, the, the kickstart of the club. Was there that feeling at the time, or is that something we've added in after the event and, and with history and hindsight? Well, I seem to remember that that. Rioch wasn't that popular when he started. I think the jury was out. Um, mm-hmm. Although, to be fair, Phil Neal hadn't been that popular either. <laughs> um, we're, we're, we're not we're not too forgiving to our managers, are we? Um, <laughs> no, not as free. No. <laughs> <laughs> I, I think I think Paul's right. I think once once February got going, and I'm again I'm going to take sole credit for this run, Paul. Um, Paul and Mark, sole credit, because I was up in Newcastle. The previous season, I um, persuaded my flatmates to come down and watch Bolton away at Hartlepool, mm. and we won four nil, and it, it was great. So that the next season, um, I had Hartlepool away February, um, and that was the first win on that that winning run, and nobody else would come with me. So I went down. It was a twelve o'clock kickoff on a Saturday, with a fierce gale blowing off the North Sea, bringing snow showers. I've been to Russia in February, and I was warmer there than I was on that terrace at Hartlepool. <laughs> You've always not been in the press box at bottom, uh, the uni bar. <laughs> no, no. <laughs> no, I, I think I think that terrace at Hartlepool would even give that a run for its money. <laughs> But but we won, we won, and um, 
I, I, I came down for the for the Chester game. I remember that because I hated Chester. I mean, Chester. What what is the point of Chester as a football club, really? Um, other than to to draw nil nil with us in the third division and and think that was a really good result. So um, that that healed a few scars for me. And then I, I, then I, yeah, I was tuning into. Um, I managed to just get the frequency for Hull's local radio for that that Friday night game against Hull, yeah. and list, yeah. just listening to the chaos ensuing with 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 all of that, that was fantastic. Um, so yeah, I, th I think by by that time you could sort of sense the momentum. The momentum was definitely there, and and the, the team were playing good football. Yeah, and don't forget we um we obviously had a good FA Cup run as well earlier in the campaign. The white hot nights at Anfield and um, Wolves as well. So Wolves who uh, were they were they yeah they were in the division above us weren't they? They'd gone right, the yeah. season before. Yeah. So I, I think you know <laughs> drawing to Liverpool at home and then beating them at Anfield that kind of gave you that belief that you know we, we can beat anybody on our day and you know and as it transpired you know we we you know we we did. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Was that, there was a fateful day a few weeks before the end of the season, I think. Uh, was it Swansea? Andy Walker picked up yep. his, his bad injury. So, Des I think Little, that... I think. Yeah, it was yeah. a bad challenge with Des Little. And yeah, he's, you know, you almost, there was the sense of like, could this be our season over and done with? Because obviously Andy Walker was top scorer of the season before. Was he 33 yep. the season before? Yeah. And, um, and McGinley had just signed that season. If I remember, if I remember, was it September time when he signed? I can't quite. Yeah, remember. it wasn't in the it wasn't in the summer, was it? Yeah. So you kind of thinking, oh no, we've we've lost our main striker. Is that going to derail our you know that charge? And mm. but mm. yeah, I think as soon as because my first recollection when we signed McGinley was he he was the guy who scored a hat trick against us for Barry, and I, Barry, I was yeah. really chuffed, chuffed with the signing because. Whenever, whenever I looked at him and saw his stats, he always scored goals. And I thought, well, we've got this guy. And he replaced Tony Phillips, didn't he? he? You know, he scored quite a few goals for us. So, yeah. So, it was kind of like you thought, oh, hopefully he can kind of step into the that gap that Andy left by, you know, unfortunately getting injured. Do, do you remember, John, how the fans kind of reacted to McGinley then? Because, he obviously, he had scored goals for Berry. He'd been a bit of a nomad, though, to be fair. He hadn't really found a, a home to, to settle before that. Obviously, had prior with, with Rioch and, and Millwall. But were they were they thinking they'd signed a, a real goal scorer or was it kind of suck it and see? I think, I think the, the, the sort of main focus was Andy Walker. Yeah. Um, and I think John McGinley was less of a focus because he was less of a name and he hadn't come from Celtic. Um, and so I think that probably helped him because he because he could just get on with his job quietly without being the, the big focus. Yeah, I think um, that's right, John. Yeah. And and Andy Walker took away that focus and, and rightly so. And um it just allowed the two of them to be to become the um the sort of the spearhead that that all the defences feared. And John, if you remember, I think Scott Green, who was um Utility player, really, wasn't he? But he, he he filled in for Andy Walker for a couple of games, didn't he? Up front, and I can't, I can't remember which game it was, but he scored a, a winning goal, and you know, he, I think that kind of like gave us a bit of hope as well. Yeah, I, I remember that was because because Greeny was was always the the name that would get a bit of a chuckle when the the team list was 
was read out and then slowly but surely we began to realize that actually he was a pretty important player for us absolutely and, and, yeah. and when he got that goal that that just sealed it he was a bit like a, a Nicky Hunt sort of character, I think, for the club. Yeah, I think it was against... He scored two against Swansea as well, so there was kind of like a... Um, yeah, I've got my memories failing me at the minute, but I think it was against Swansea, scored two goals. And yeah, he had the number two jersey on, but he played up front, so whether that threw Swansea, I don't know. But um, that was in the good old days when there were just numbers <laughs> 1 to 11. <laughs> they were the good old days, you could see the numbers. <laughs> As well. By the way, I think that should be uh, should be a requirement of any new kit this summer. Is can you see the bloody numbers from the press box? That's all I care about. Just get a better pair of binoculars, Mark. I, I, I need to. Yeah, I might start buying binoculars though. Mrs. Isles uh, asked me what I need them for. Twitching. It's a conversation I don't really need. Um, so, John, as as this game is kind of building to a crescendo, it's been a nervy, nervy, nervy game. And you're sat there with the Preston fans of all places. Um, I think 74 minutes, I think it is the penalty Penalty gets given and McGinley picks the ball up. What's Paint me a picture. What's, what are you feeling at that point in time? Well, by now, I'm safely ensconced in the Burnden paddock. We've had, about, we've had about three penalty shouts all turned down. Um, and we just know it's not going to be our day. And then... And I just felt sick. Yeah. I felt sick. I was just watching this. I'd come all this way just to be um, disappointed again. And I know you sort of get used to that as a Bolton fan, and, and that's part and parcel of it, and it's why we do it. Um, but but it still felt... I mean, they'd confiscated me deodorant at the box office, <laughs> the ticket office. I was going home. I was going <laughs> to stay with my mum and dad. They'd confiscated me deodorant. So I was going to go on stinking. Well, I was and, a student. And I, need, I needed it for myself. <laughs> <laughs> Smelly and not promoted. And and then we, we, we got this penalty. And from where we were, it looked the softest penalty out of all four shouts. Mm. And, um, and then that was it. It was just like absolute nerves. You could sort of almost feel the tension. I know it's a cliche, but you, you could just feel it. And um, and the release when he when he put it in the back of the net, you know, it, it's it's not usual for for grown men to be hugging strangers and and dancing around, but there, there was a lot of that. And people talk these days about limbs, but I mean that that was something else. That was something else. And then it was just a question of holding on for sixteen minutes. But Preston had never looked likely to score. It was more a question of whether we would. Yeah. And um and in the end, by by quirk of fate, really, it was a soft penalty, I'm sure. Um, we did it. Yeah. It was... I'm not sure there's ever been a, a more important penalty as the Paul than, than that one. And um McGinley, definitely the man for yeah. the job. Absolutely, yeah. I mean, yeah, as, as John was saying, the, the nerves, it was a uh, of all the games that I've seen before and, and since, I, I would have to say the, the atmosphere that day, it was strange. It wasn't one where you thought, like a carnival atmosphere, like you get at some games of that magnitude. It was, yeah. it was really tense. You know, you yeah, you could taste the nerves. It was, it was strange. And I, I, yeah, and but as John said, as when John stepped up, you just knew it was going to score because John, he had that, he has that focus, doesn't he, when he plays, and he definitely knows where the back of the net is. And 
yeah, like as John said, once that goal went in, you kind of felt it, even though you were waiting for the referee to blow full time and those last 14 minutes seemed like an hour. But you just kind of knew that it was there. And although those years of waiting and hoping and, you know, we're finally, um, finally put to bed and, yeah, we could you know, enjoy that promotion and, and the new dawn that was about to unfold. It was, uh, I mean, in, in the kind of the grander scheme of things, of course, 92-93, Premier League has arrived. Football is, is suddenly cool again after after a very dark period. Yeah. And as young men at the time, young supporters at the time, did you kind of pick up on that? Was it was it was it cool to be a football fan again? Because actually, probably in the eighties, you were frowned upon, and it was it was not looked as, as something that you know was a safe thing to do. Yeah, I, I was probably a bit too young for the um, you know for the for the hooligan element in the eighties where it tarnished the the reputation. So I, I I kind of didn't feel that that shame, if, you know, if, if you can call it that, of being a football fan. Mm. And all I can say, I, I felt it, from that point on, it felt cool to be a Bolton fan because when I was at school, secondary school, Mount St Joseph's, you know, there were only a handful of Bolton fans. You know, you had plenty of Liverpool fans because Liverpool were the team at the time. You had a handful of Man United fans, but. There was only me, my brother, and maybe a handful of others who, who supported Bolton. And I was never embarrassed to support Bolton, but you know, you, you felt like you were a, a small part. Whereas from that point onwards, it, it took off, and then you know, it, it was cool to be a Bolton fan of you know. And then when I went to uni a couple of years after that, I was like, you know, you're very proud to say where you were from and who you supported, and yeah, and people took notice. How about you, John? I mean, obviously, you were fighting the good fight up in in Newcastle, but when you came <laughs> back down, and and to coin your the the title of your book, a view from Orlando Bridge, that that wasn't sometimes a very pretty view, was it? <laughs> no, no, it, it often wasn't. Um, <laughs> but uh, I, I think, yeah, I, I, I was um, been I think two or three years older than 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 Paul. Um, I'd, I'd seen the, the tail end of, of the hooligan stuff, and it, yeah. it 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 wasn't nice. It wasn't nice. It it, it was a, a deterrent going to matches, really. Yeah. Um, and I know a lot of people that read football books tend to read read them for the for the um, the stories of bother and stuff, and and you know that it didn't interest me. So it, it felt good to actually be able to be celebrating, supporting your football team, and not. Walking around thinking, is somebody going to do me over because I'm wearing a different shirt in the town? Mm. Um, I certainly noticed there was a lot more um, replica shirts being worn around the yeah. town. They did give the club, um, a, the club gave the the town a big lift. Um, Absolutely. I think at one point they had a, a, a shop in in the Arndale Centre um, around that time, and I remember centre the, spot. It was called Centre Spot. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and and the the yellow the yellow deep marigold um, away kit with a blue pinstripe, um, yeah. which I think was the season after. That that was a huge seller. Loads of people in that, and and um, and all of a sudden it, it felt like like you belonged. And I think it helped as well, just because the northwest had been sort of a cultural centre from about nineteen ninety onwards as well so everyone was sort of carried along on that wave as well and, and it it felt okay to be a young person in the northwest supporting your local football club absolutely 
Manchester baggy, and those sleeves were baggy in the nineties, weren't they, Paul? <laughs> Absolutely, yeah. No, great era. Yeah, no, it was great era for music. Um, certainly, just before I think, yeah, you know, you had the Stone Roses, Charlatans, and then you know the Acid House scene in the eighty-eight. So I think that ended, you know, ninety-two. But um, for me, it didn't. It carried on. But you also yeah. had the um, the um, Euro pop, the cheesy Euro pop, Ace of Bass, and you know stuff like that, which kind of <laughs> yeah took away Absolutely. a bit of the sheen from the music. But um, no, it was it was a good era. Particularly for me, growing up, you know, it was formative years, just at sixth form, um, getting into my music, love my football club, and yeah, just getting ready for the big bad world. <laughs> <laughs> well, the, the number one record, just to, to let you know, um, was uh, George Michael, Don't Let the Sun Go Down on Me. Oh, with Elton um, John, yeah. On, no, good. Yeah. Yeah, so it's, that's all right. It's stood the test of time. Yeah. Went to the cinema, you can go and watch Groundhog Day as well, which was, uh, that was a good film. I enjoyed Groundhog Day. Again and again and again. again. Yeah. I've watched it loads of times. I just kept on queuing up. Gets better, gets better every time, doesn't it? <laughs> it's felt a bit like Groundhog Day at Bolton, Paul. Um, uh, uh, and not, not nowadays, of course. We're all cheery now, but uh, there, have, there have been times. But, I mean, this was the start of... A, a real kind of upsurge, wasn't it? This had I, I like the sliding doors moments, and I, I do wonder McGinley misses that penalty, and Bolton have to go through the playoffs again. Yeah, what I happened? mean, what would happen next? Yeah, well, yeah, I think yeah. I mean, promotion is the it, it's the be all and end all if you're you know mm. in the league, isn't it? You know, if you 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 want to progress, promotion is it? And yeah, had. You know, had we not gone up, would it have? You know, it would have been a lot of disappointment, wouldn't it? You know, you, mm. and who knows what would have happened with the, you know, the, the manager and stuff. You know, um, I, I'd like to think he would have stayed, and you know, because well, he was on a contract, was he? I think yeah. that first season he hadn't was, actually signed. I've actually got. I've just yeah. been uh, just been shuffling around in my uh, in my book here, and there's actually the the. Fr- the, the back page there might, might yeah. not see it. Rioch signed. That's when he actually did sign his contract, and that's in the in the summer after after promotion. So uh, he might he he might have said, look, he, you know, he, he might have had a different view. He might not have wanted to carry on. Who knows? By the way, I don't know. If you can see. I mean, I, I'm look. Uh, this is no good for a, uh, an audio podcast. But Gordon Sharrock's mustache there. The mustache <laughs> old GS ones. Yeah. There we go. What an yes, absolute well, legend. <laughs> there's a nice uh, there's a nice 90s twist. Gordon Sharrock's moustache. Him and Des Lynham never seen in the same room as far as <laughs> oh, What a great guy Gordon is. Great guy. He'll yeah, be um, uh, guest on here before much longer. Yeah, when I started in the um, you know, working in the comms team early 2000s, Gordon was uh, obviously the um did your did your job um, right. just before. Yeah, no. Great guy who you've learned plenty of, I guess. Um, hundred percent, hundred percent. I really enjoyed working with Gordon. It was uh, it was a cracking, uh, cracking baptism he gave me as as far as yeah. Wanderers were concerned, and was kind of second man to him when I first started. And uh, and then he stepped up. He was the director of football whilst uh, whilst I started. <laughs> and now he, he looks younger now than he did when he was bloody covering Wanderers. He's he's uh, in the gym every day. He's, he's looking fantastic. <laughs> <laughs> Got rid of the cash though. To be fair, there is it's there. Uh, yeah. So it's not had the Samson effect on him, has it? <laughs> uh, I, I was just—I was just going to say, it, it, looking looking back, I, 
what was what were the the scenes like afterwards? Because I mean, I've, I've seen a lot of the, the crowd stills and such like people on the pitch and such like. But the one thing that the modern day stadium does not have, and that's the fact that it's not in the town centre. So those celebrations, presumably, spilled out onto Manchester Road, spilled out into the town centre. It would have been very much um, a celebratory evening in Bolton. Uh, did you stick around to uh, to enjoy it? I might have done. I've got absolutely no recollection <laughs> so you probably fair, did then, to be fair. yeah it's fair to say i, I quite probably did uh, i've got absolutely no idea no idea how i got home but i know i didn't have a deodorant um <laughs> yeah yeah it, it was did you miss that i mean the fact that the, the town center used to be a, a hive of activity on a match day that walk obviously from town center down uh, down towards Burnden was infamous and captured in song, of course. But um, I mean, as much as many, I'm, I'm very pro Reebok, pro Reebok Stadium and such like, and I understand the reasons why it had to be done. But there is an element that's never been recaptured yeah. about not being in the town centre. Is that fair to say? I think so, and and I think that that's the same for for probably most clubs now that that have got their their new grounds. They don't quite have the same um, the same buzz because mm. you know when when I've been to the Reebok, um, Middlebrook isn't the same as as the Arndale Centre and 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 the precinct, you know, and the, and the Market Hall. I know it's not the Arndale Centre anymore, but um, is it still Crompton Place? <laughs> it's yeah, probably yeah. yeah, I think I think so. Yeah, <laughs> just about, just about. Yeah. Middle Middlebrook's not the same, is it? It does. It just the, these places feel a bit soulless, um, and and no matter how much the the club and the council do to to try and make it feel like home, like giving the streets relevant names and everything, it's just a bit too big and expansive. Um, on the plus side, there's still a railway bridge that you can cross over to get to the game, so that 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 was a tip for me. <laughs> very th very thoughtful for the of the planners that wasn't it. <laughs> it was, yeah. We, we used to go that that footbridge that ran parallel to Orlando Bridge. Um, oh yeah. Just just superstition, superstition. Yeah. Um, if, if if a train went underneath as we were crossing, we were going to win. Um, and of course, we timed <laughs> it so there was never any trains going across. <laughs> I always wonder about, uh, I mean, the, the peripheral businesses as well. I mean, the pie shop, I think, is it still, it might still be there. It might still be operating, but you had like pubs, the local pubs, the news agents rice, on the corner. Yeah, well. Rice and Easy, the chippy. Um, yeah. Rice and Easy. Yeah. yeah. That was a good well, thing. that moved into the town centre. There was one, there was one. Um, well, I think it was called Rice and Free. Yeah. Oh, is it? Yeah. yeah, but, oh, yeah it's a different, it was a different one, I think. But, yeah. <laughs> it's a but, yeah, it's a yeah, you had the news agent on the corner, and then you had the yeah the pie shop. Um, the, there was a the King Bill, Fox. wasn't it? King, King Bill, Bill, yeah, yeah, yeah. King Bill. That was um, yeah. I always used to because I obviously worked at the ticket office on on a match day and stayed until just after kickoff. You could always um, see guys in the thirties, forties, worse for wear, pegging it from King Bill to, to Burnley <laughs> Paddock. You could like just like two minutes before kickoff, like the mad sprint it was. It was great. It was absolutely you fantastic. You couldn't see him doing that with the harvester now, could you? <laughs> oh no, no. Picking across the road. <laughs> 
No, that's uh, that's fantastic, gents. Uh, it has been an absolute pleasure walking down uh, memory lane and across uh, Orlando Bridge with you, John. Um, it's uh, it's a, a wonderful decade, the 90s. I, I, I've really been enjoying these and looking back, there's so many touch points because the, the 90s as a decade as well, just kind of like it, it changed so much. There's so many innovations and football have changed so much that 1993 feels a completely different era to say six six years later. 99, yeah. think about where Bolton Wanderers were out there with, with Sam yeah. and everything like that. It's uh, it's a crazy decade, um, and I'm really enjoying uh, talking to chaps like you and, and finding out a bit more about what it was like to be a Bolton Wanderers fan. But uh, thank you very much for joining in. Uh, thank you very much for listening, everybody. And uh, we'll be back with another episode very, very soon. See you later, chaps. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you very much for listening to Stop Press, Bolton Wanderers in the 90s. Written and produced by Mark Hiles, that's me, with in-house music from Simon Woods. Keep your eye out for more Stop Press podcasts recorded exclusively for subscribers to the Bolton News in the coming weeks.